Welcome. You're listening to the Mac Observer's Background Mode. I am your host, John Martellero, and this week my guest is the famous Michael Gartenberg. Michael, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. Famous or infamous? Uh, I was going to say infamous, but I thought I would be polite. (laughs) You're really more famous. In fact, you uh, spent three years as Apple's Senior Director of Product Marketing, reporting to Phil Schiller. And you're currently a freelance writer, also writing for Six Colors. And you've become a regular guest here on the background mode. I think this is your sixth additional appearance after we did the initial background mode shows on your career. And it's always fun to have you on the show and talk about what's going on at Apple. This week, we're going to talk about our thoughts about WWDC 2019. Sounds good. So let's start with the obvious. The new Mac Pro, the 2019 Mac Pro, the Cheese Grater 2.0. <laughs> so what were your first impressions? Um, wow, this thing is really going to be expensive, followed up by when they revealed the price. Yep, this thing is really expensive. And looking at the configurations, um, you can buy like a decent you know, small car for that price. Uh, so this thing is um, pretty much, I mean, if you're a pro user and you were saying Apple has not delivered a professional class machine for your needs, well, this is for you, um, without a doubt. Um, this is uh, not a home machine. This is not a, uh, you know, enthusiast machine. This is not a prosumer machine. Um, this is a tool for people who do their work um, doing things like, um, you know, animating Toy Story. Um, you know, uh, I would say producing, um, you know, music. But the truth is, you don't even need this to do that. Um, you know, doing music scores, perhaps for um, movies. So, I, I mean, this thing is monstrous. You're not buying it to run, you know, Microsoft Office, that's for sure. But it is, you know, high priced. And I'm not sure that this is the machine that people were asking for. Um, The comments that I got from um, some of the pros I talked to post-show was they were looking for something in between an iMac Pro and this, meaning something that wasn't a single unit with, you know, a fixed screen from Apple um, that was not upgradable. Uh, they were looking for something, um, you know, I'm dating myself, but, you know, in the days of uh, the big, you know, Mac 2 and 2FX machines, Apple introduced the um, Mac 2C and, 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 you know, the 2E. And those were just smaller versions. They were upgradable, um, you know, with slots. They didn't have as many features. And I think some of the pros were saying this is just sort of like overkill. And it starts um, at six thousand dollars for a very low level machine. Quickly get yeah. up to thirty or forty thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you can get a decent car um, <laughs> once you yeah. configure this. And you know, I think that's where people were sort of looking for something in the middle. I want to be able to upgrade my processor. Um, I want to be able to um, you know update my graphics card. I want the ability you know to tie into uh, 4K, 8K monitors, etc. Um, but I don't necessarily need everything that is in this machine. Um, 
And it, it kind of, you know, there's this, you know, chasm um, between an iMac Pro, which is a great machine with a fantastic display. Um, and it's um, a really great, you know, prosumer machine, um, as long as you can live with the all-in-one design. Um, as long as you're okay with the Apple screen, maybe you want something different. Um, maybe you want to uh, upgrade the internals more easily. Uh, buy the Mac Pro and the iMac Pro, and you're pretty much getting, um, you know, what you get. You get the Mac Pro, and you can pretty much have whatever you want, but boy, well, are you Speaking gonna- of headless Macs and chasms, is there a too big a headless Mac chasm between the Mac Mini and the Mac Pro? Yeah, because if nothing else, you know, the Mac Mini um, simply lacks graphics horsepower. Yeah. Uh, you know, so sure, I could go ahead and start doing things and maybe add an external GPO. Uh, but once I start getting into that, um, then I, I've already lost a lot of the um, advantages or cost savings. So somewhere in between these devices is something. You know, if if Apple's philosophy is every you know device um, in the product line should put some pressure on the device ahead of it. Um, you know, uh, a MacBook should, you know, um, put pressure on the iMac line and make the iMac line better. The iMac line, as it gets better, should make the Mac Pro line get better. Um, but this is like such a giant leap forward. So, you know, the people who either can afford this um, or the people who won't be paying for it, whose, you know, businesses will be paying for it, uh, are, are certainly going to be pleased. And this is definitely a product where uh, if you have to ask the price, then you can't afford it and it's not for you. Does it make sense for Apple to eventually sort of acquiesce and come out with a Mac Pro Mini to fill in that chasm? Maybe dispense with the power uh, to the MPX modules and simplify the chassis a bit and still have PCI slots and sell a a mid-level machine for $3,500? I think there's a lot of room for that. And again, you know, um, you're a, a prosumer, you're a professional, but you're not an, you know, uber professional, if you will. Um, you know, you need a good car to drive, but you don't need a Ferrari. Um, there's definitely some room for a device like that uh, from the people I'm talking to. You know, give us, we don't need as many PCI slots. We don't need that entire architecture. Well, if Apple was going to do that, the sensible thing to do would be to come out with this Mac Pro first. Because if they came out with the Mac Pro Mini first, people would, hearts would sink that Apple didn't go all the way, didn't deliver the yeah. ultimate Pro machine. So. Maybe the order is properly set up to maybe bring us a Mac Pro Mini in 2019 later or 2020. Yeah, it would not surprise me if we saw something um, before the end of the year, but it would probably more like a a 2020 machine because this type of thing where Apple wants to sell as many of these things as possible before it's much revenue as possible. (laughs) But it. You know, there there were parts about it, and I think um, the scene that, you know, happened in the room when Apple talked about the price of the monitor stand. Um, the groan, the collective I, groan. I heard it. <laughs> yeah, it came across I mean, the Internet. <laughs> right. 
did you uh, do you want to buy a monitor stand or do you want to buy you know an i um, an iPad? Oh wait, an iPad. You know you can get a pretty good one for under a thousand dollars. Do you want to get an iPhone XS Pro or do you want to get the monitor stand? And I honestly, this is one of those things where I'm just kind of surprised that this ended up coming that way. I don't understand why Apple simply didn't include the price of the stand with the monitor and do the reverse. Offer the monitor without a stand at some sort of a discount um, because that would have gone over a lot better yes, than the way this was done. Um, you know, other than to say that, uh, you know, this is the best monitor stand in the world. This is the greatest monitor stand. You, you almost expected a Johnny I video to come out and talk about how, you know, how many hours went into the design of this stand and, and you know, why. <laughs> Wait till we hear how much the wheels are going to cost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke uh, that was made uh, at uh, Craig Federighi's expense during John Gruber's The Show Tuesday night, WWDC. And all, the only thing Federighi could do was shrug his shoulders and say, well, it'll be a payment plan. <laughs> well, th- there's your um, use for your Apple card, you know, if you uh, were debating about getting your Apple credit card. Like, <laughs> what is it? 3%, 3% cash back um, on a $30,000 purchase. That's not bad, actually. If you're if you're buying one of these things, you may as well buy it on your Apple card. Um, well, one of our they, writers pointed out uh, that uh, Sony makes a, a reference class monitor that costs $40,000. And in terms of being reference class, uh, this is a deal. And I think a lot of people um, were in a consumer frame of mind watching WWDC on the Internet. And their hearts sunk when they saw these prices and they didn't realize the target market that Apple was pointing at. And Apple didn't really, really go to any trouble, in my recollection, to punctuate that, that focus yeah, and, and you know the thing is, it's the problem is it's the analogy that says, well, you know, uh, um, Bugatti makes cars that sell for two million dollars. So if you're looking at a Ferrari and it's only costing you half a mil, my God, that's a bargain by you know comparison. And if you're looking like you know at a top of the line BMW Seven Series, I mean, th- that's an outright bargain. So um, yeah, these are these are bargains for people with a lot of money. Um, and typically those are not going to be individuals. You're either a very, very successful freelancer. Um, you're probably going to be getting one of these, um, you know, as, uh, for use in corporate, um, where it's no, almost certainly going to be locked down. So no one walks off with it, um, or wheels off with it for that matter. And, uh, or you, you're just, you know, a real Apple fan and you've, got a lot of money to burn and you want bragging rights for um, the latest and greatest. Um, and, you know, you can play uh, pretty much every video game at full resolution, at full speed. Um, Would it have made any sense for Apple to bring, uh, say, an architecture specialist or a scientific computing specialist to come out for two or three minutes and give a demo of some awesome simulation or high-level app to punctuate what the system can do or or, or actually demonstrate some 8K rendering. I yeah, kinda, I, they were pressed for time. They deleted that video that was narrated by by Ricky and uh, Ive. 
Yeah. And it, cut that. Right. And, and, you know, all of these keynotes, um, you know, when they first start go like well over three hours and then the trick right. is how do we, how do we chop this thing down and right. what do we need to cut? But at least showing something that would be virtually impossible to do on any other personal computer, right. even for 30 seconds, I think would have right. driven it. I agree. And, you know, and the problem is, is that you can get pretty nice professional Windows machines that do not cost nearly as much um, and, you know, can drive high resolution monitors and can, you know, do renderings really quickly and can run, um, you know, Photoshop or Premiere. Um, it, it, we're past the days where, you know, professional apps um, just live um, on um, Mac OS. So it, it certainly would have added a little more razzle to it. Um, if they could have shown something um, like, you know, hey, look, we're going to you know, decode the human genome for you right now. Um, right. And it's going right. to take 15 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have any uh, sense of what the uh, Xeon CPU is capable of? I know they talked about parallel processing in the multi many thousands core Vega uh, GPU, which can do with OpenCL, I imagine they were using OpenCL to benchmark it, like 56 teraflops. But what about just multi-threaded processing on the Xeon W? I mean, for all we know, you, you network three of these things together and, and you've got Skynet born. <laughs> <laughs> 10 gigabit Ethernet, twice. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, we're... we're there's so much raw power here that it stretches the imagination um, of what people can do. And I know people always say that, you know, I go back to um, my college computer science course and when Apple upgraded the Apple II from 48K to 64K, um, my professor was somewhat sarcastic. If you, if you can't do it in, in 48K, then uh, <laughs> 64K just wait. So, you know, we um. And, um, you know, say that this is overpowered and, and no doubt in five years, this will be the technology of the Mac mini. But right now there's a lot, I mean, you buy one of these things and you have a lot of computing overhead. Um, and in fact, you know, like I said, for a lot of people, almost too much. Well, that's um, an interesting point. Uh, how do you access that computing overhead? Um, you have to have special techniques. You have to be able to access metal. You have to be able to write multi-threaded code you have to do you know exotic simulations and complex calculations and mathematics or do a linpack uh, benchmark test and find out what the machine's really capable of uh, and do some other metrics uh, that uh, show off the machine's power you can't extract that power with normal apps maybe you can see you can glimpse some of the power with apps that require a lot of real-time rendering or you know graphics uh, uh, CAD design apps and and uh, other video apps that do you know real time lighting and frameworks and and fill that in you know almost in, in real time and faster so uh, right. it's hard it's hard to understand for most users the nature of the computational elements the design the the programming that can extract that power. And it's right. too bad that OpenCL is being deprecated, uh, uh, but uh, you'll still be able to get at it with Metal, assuming the developers are willing to go that route. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, buying this machine to run Final Cut, you know, 10 is almost silly. Um, it's like buying an iMac Pro so you can run, you know, Apple Photos. Uh, it's it's going to be over. <laughs> Look, there's it's like driving McLaren in a school zone. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> but there is going to be a segment of the market where fast will never be fast enough, and right. that audience is willing to pay for it. Um, well, those, doing- those users log on to the regional supercomputer in their organization, their university, or their government research institute pays for time on supercomputers that may be a thousand kilometers away and you log on SSH into a, you know, a super system with, you know, 10,000 nodes running a petaflop or no more. So there's that, right. that's the next step. When, but when there's, when there's a advantage to doing it locally, then this is the machine. Right. I mean, you know, again, if you're involved in something like you're trying to, you know, map the human brain, um, or you need to, um, you know, render Toy Story, the entire movie in real time. Um, you know, if you're doing that type of work, this is sort of like, okay, it's a start, <laughs> you know, um, but you know, what have you got next Apple? But for most users, this is going to be overkill, but certainly no one can say, um, Apple did not deliver on a pro level machine. Right. Um, that that is for sure. Um, you know, there there will be no more um, jokes about Apple in the professional market. Although we will hear, great, Apple has gone after you know the tiniest niche of the professional market, and and somewhere between you know the person who's uh, using an iMac Pro so they can um, you know do their YouTube videos and and stuff like that. And the people that really wanted the modular power of, um, you know, an iMac Pro or excuse me, a Mac Pro, um, those people are still going to be feeling a little bit left out of the cold. Um, Their option is really still going to be an iMac Pro or to go to a different platform because this is, you know, really rarefied air (laughs) that that few people will ever, um, you know, venture near. Um, yep. it's the same thing that you go to the Apple store to take a look at, you know, you go to the BMW, um, showroom so you can see the seven series and then <laughs> right, you, right. you walk out and, and either get a series model one or, or you go to buy a Toyota afterward. <laughs> well, we're going to have to take a break now. I've come to the uh, end of the first segment. Next up, I want to talk to you about some of the other announcements at WWDC, iPad OS and some other things, but first we have to take a break. Folks, we'll be back in 60 seconds. Stay with us. Today, our sponsor is Linode. Linode helps you design, develop, and deploy in the cloud. You can build dedicated CPU, distributed applications, hosted services, websites, and CI slash CD environments. If it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. Linode is focused on simplicity, service, and value. The goal is to maximize the benefit you receive from your cloud by making it cost-effective to deploy robust compute, storage, and networking services that meet your ever-changing performance needs. Featured are native SSD storage, a 40 gigabit network, and industry-leading processors. Pick from any of 10 worldwide data centers, including the newest in Toronto. Pay only for what you use with hourly billing across all plans and add-on services. 
Plus, 24 by 7 live customer support is always just a phone call away. You'll be able to deploy and maintain your infrastructure simply and cost-effectively. Plus, Linode's tools make it easy to provision, secure, monitor, and backup your cloud. To learn more, visit linode.com slash bgm. That's l-i-n-o-d-e dot com slash bgm. And receive a $20 credit when you use promo code BGM2019. Thanks, Linode, for being our sponsor. We're back. I'm chatting with Michael Gartenberg, Apple's former Senior Director of Product Marketing. So I wanted to ask you about the absence of Phil Schiller. Uh, In 2013, Phil notoriously introduced the 2013 Mac Pro at WWDC. Phil was nowhere to be seen on stage anywhere near the Mac Pro or near anything else. Um, Any ideas about why we didn't see Phil at all? Uh, Yeah, so... If you recall back, uh, six years ago, that was my uh, my first year at Apple, my first WWDC. So in the course of rehearsal for the Mac Pro product, which everyone at Apple was so proud of, I mean, it, it, people thought that they'd really nailed the design. Um, and, and frankly, I was one of them. I said, this thing is amazing. Um, you know, the stuff that it can do. I'm talking and to you again, on one. Yeah, and again, mostly because I'm not a super pro user, it kind of blew me away. So in the course of um, one of the rehearsals, uh, there was a slide where, uh, you know, there was a person running like two 4K monitors or something like that. And Phil was like, yeah, you could be this guy. And as he walked away, he said, yeah, I can innovate my ass. And as we were walking away, I said, Phil, that was a great line. Like, I, so we got to put it in there. Oh, I, said, I never heard that story. Oh, that's and, cool. And, and, I, and I said, and you nailed it exactly. <laughs> and I started going back to the office. He ran after me and goes, what do you mean I nailed it exactly? What did he do? <laughs> and I'm like, and like, for the next two minutes, all, all I heard was, can't innovate my ass. Can't innovate my ass. You know, um, uh, until we were able to recapture the magic. And then it, it got put into the keynote. So a little um, little background. Um, I, I We were talking off before, and I think you're right. Um, you know, uh, for Phil to come out there and, you know, uh, introduce this thing would have really prompted a lot. Of, How do you follow you know, up? <laughs> How do you do a second act? Yeah, I mean, you know, really cat calls from the audience like, hey, Phil, is this really the innovative one? (laughs) Yeah, you know, um, you know, you know, really can innovate. Yeah, yeah. There was just just no lines. There was no way out for that. Right. I I think it it made sense um, for uh, Phil to stay away. And, you know, Phil mostly does. Um, hardware introductions these days. So it wasn't a surprise <clears throat> to not um, see him there. And also as Apple becomes more and more diverse in terms of, you know, who's on stage, you know, let's go back a couple of years, the people on stage would be Steve. That would be pretty much it. <laughs> and maybe in the course of it, you know, some, you know, uh, hapless person to help him with a demo. Um, or throw a camera with a dead battery. Yeah, or, 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 or you know, or you know, Phil Schiller for comic relief. Yeah, uh, jumping and, off a two-story window into a mattress. 
and now what, what you've, you really have got is, you know, uh, certainly Apple has taken the message about diversity because, you know, this was like, you know, an incredibly diverse lineup um, that Apple went through to make sure that uh, they had checked all the boxes. No one was going to come back and say, wow, this wasn't a you know, diverse enough group. But also you had, um, you know, it wasn't just about senior vice presidents or, or even vice presidents um, or even senior directors. You had directors, you had people who were involved in the projects. Um, so as that audience uh, on stage becomes more diverse and those presenters become more diverse, there, there's going to be less room um, for the VPs. And I think that, you know, it, it's a question of when do you want to bring out someone like Phil um, or even someone like Jaws or someone like Eddie? Uh, you don't want to waste them on a product intro like this. You, you want to bring them out for the next big thing. And of course, um, you, you got to leave room for Tim um, because Tim's still got to be at the center of the keynote. Uh, well, as you said, as these vice presidents take on more and more responsibility, and Apple's product line and efforts expand into services, they know less and less about any particular technology. So it makes sense to have the product manager or right. the director of hardware development or somebody like that who's really close to it and, and, and can speak authoritatively, present the product. Right. I mean, and if you go back to the um, you know September launch of the new um, iPads, um, the voice of God that narrated it was Phil. Um, so, you know, he's sort of taking these interesting roles um, in the same way that, you know, Johnny Ive used to appear on stage and now only shows up in video form um, is, you know, Phil from now on <laughs> not going to be on stage. <laughs> We're just going to get a simulation of him doing voiceover <laughs> on the ground. But I, I, I think that that was probably the wise move. Um, I'm sure that it didn't take a whole lot of internal discussion about it. Um, it, it just would have looked silly um, at this point. Um, it, I mean, there's a couple ways where it probably could have worked really well, um, but there were more ways that it would have, you know, gotten laughs, <laughs> not the kind of oh, laughs. Yeah, yeah they could have done a comedy routine where they where they showed Phil in 2013 and then make a skit or something. <laughs> Um, but you have to remember is is that you maybe, know Apple, maybe maybe with Phil Schiller going to confession and the sliding right. a little door open and saying, uh, "Mr. Cook, I have sinned." <laughs> that, would, that would have to. But then Apple would have to acknowledge that that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they don't, they don't was, tend to do that too much. <laughs> yeah, it was very not self-deprecating when it comes <laughs> to. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, we can go through examples of, you know, not every Apple product that Apple has ever done, um, you know, over the years has been super successful or, or met expectations. Um, but, you know, you never hear Apple go back, for example, and, you know, apologize for um, you know, mobile me or anything else. It's just let's move along and we'll just pretend that that product never happened and that really was the right product for that audience at that period of time. Speaking um, of moving along, we've got to move along. But yeah. we're dwelling on the Mac, so I thought I'd bring up the subject of something cool called Catalyst. This is the official product name for the original project called Marzipan that allows developers to bring their iOS apps to the Mac. You know, for a long time, there was this vague discussion about merging iOS and macOS. 
Apple's done something else brilliant. They've taken the ability to develop these iOS apps and run them on a Mac, which will, I think, breathe new life into the Mac platform. What do you think? Um, we'll see. It's This one's really all going to be about developers. We got a taste of, of what happens when you do it wrong with last year's um, apps that Apple brought over um, that, that were just universally awful. Um, they were neither optimized, you know, um, you know for, as they were for iOS, for mouse and keyboard. They didn't have standard user interface controls. Um, and, and in short, if that's what developers are going to do, they're just going to, you know, check the box. Well, those are the early, early days of the Marzipan developer kit, and Apple just wanted to showcase and whet our appetite. But the, I'm sure the development system was very crude compared to where right. it is now. Well, it depends, again, on developers. If you're just checking that box that says, you know, generate a Catalyst, you know, app, that's what you're going to get. Um, essentially, an iPad app that runs on the Mac. Um, and I, I don't think there's much of an appetite for that. I mean, sure, uh, I would love a, you know, a Netflix app, you know, doesn't need to be a, a whole lot Mac-like, doesn't need to do anything. But give me, a, you know, um, a Netflix app instead of having to use the browser. Sure. There, there's sure. a great piece for it. Um, it's going to be a question about developers um, taking the time and effort. You know, clicking that box is the first step. There's then a little the tweaking involved after that. No, there's a lot of tweaking involved um, because it is going to be about the details. How do I add, how do I integrate essentially something that was designed for a touchscreen for something that, you know, and runs one application at a time to something that should be able to run multiple applications at a time? Well, the way I look at it is, is that it's not in the interest of the developers to develop a full-blown Photoshop app using this technology. Rather, the idea is you've got a class of your favorite full-screen apps that run on your iPad or your iPhone, and you'd really like to have it handy, like a weather app or something like that, to sort of create a cross-fertilization between your iPad and your Mac. You've got a favorite little app that does something simple, cool, and you just have it on your Mac so that you don't have to reach for your iPad anymore. That's the way I think of it, as yeah. the first phase. Certainly. I mean, look, it, it does things like, you know, Twitter saying, hey, now we're going to bring a Twitter app, you know, back um, to Mac OS. And I think people were yeah. saying, well, that's great. But what we'd really like is a, a really native Mac OS Twitter app. Um, don't just bring over something that you can do easily. And I think what we're going to see is just, you know, a lot of it early on is just going to be straight ports of iPad apps that, probably won't add a lot of value. You know, one of the things that's interesting is probably some of the best iPad apps already have Mac OS versions of them. Yeah, like uh, PCalc is the one that comes to mind. Fantastical is another one that comes mm -hmm. to mind. Um, Dark Sky. I mean, we can go on and on. And, um, you know, certainly uh, we'll probably see some more games. But again, even the more interesting and the best games already exist. So you kind of have to look, you know, a little bit further down and say, wow, you know, what apps can we bring over that don't exist on the Mac? And, you know, of course, some of you may start seeing like 
very interesting hybrid apps. Um, someone bringing over uh, something like paper from 53 to the Mac that's used in conjunction with the iPad, um, you know, for input. Um, you know, so we may see some interesting use cases where it's the iPad itself combined with an app um, that runs on Mac OS that gives us this great flexibility. But, you know, the, the core applications that people use, you know, it, again, it's just, it, it's it's hard to see, okay, where this comes from, other than like, yeah, we're going to fill the gap between something that, you know, like Netflix would be great um, or um, other applications. But a lot of the applications that exist that really benefit from being on the iPad benefit because they're on the iPad, because they're designed for touch. They are um, designed for direct manipulation. Um, I, I don't expect them to behave like a Mac app. And I guess the thing that, that is concerning, you're going to end up with a series of applications um, that run on the Mac but aren't very Mac-like. Um, you know, Apple went through so much well, effort. Well, okay because it's, it's sort of like the reminiscence of, of widgets. You have a little tool, it does something simple, you're aware of the fact that it's an iOS app. You're not expecting a whole lot of it, and but its familiarity makes it convenient. There's a reason that widgets have <laughs> gone. <laughs> yeah, I, should, I used a bad example there because they're, they're dead. <laughs> the best but, example I can give you right now is, um, you know, Microsoft's idea of universal you know, application platforms where um, on one hand you you write for the Windows Store and it'll run on a Windows, you know, PC, it'll run on a Windows tablet, it'll run on a Windows phone. Um, and it turned out to be a lot more difficult um, to do and because each app really needed to be optimized for its platform. And it, it's sort of the same way that Microsoft had these, you know, Windows native apps um, you know, that came from the Windows Store, living side by side with sort of the classic Windows applications. And if you use those two things, you know, combined, it, it didn't work. Um, and in some ways, you know, is Apple creating its own toaster fridge with this um, thing that would not then be an iPad, that would not be, you know, a Mac Um well, I think but, part of the frustration is developers who said, you know, we don't have a big enough team to support both your platforms. You come out with this great iOS game, and that's all you can do. And Apple says, well, why didn't you come out with the Mac version? They said, oh, we didn't have enough time, effort, and a lot of work. Yeah. Team's not big enough, you know. So give us some tools so that we don't have to do all that extra work. And we can just press a button and have multi-platform support. So I think it was a concession to developers and see what they do with it. It's not just press a button. It's sort of the 80-20 rule. You know, you might get 80% of the way there, but that last 20% is going to take up 80% of your time um, in order to, you know, uh, you know, adjust for screen sizes and adjust for the fact that it's going to have to run uh, on all sorts of machines. There is no, you know, standard horsepower. How far back do you have to go? Um, how much, you know, effort? Are we going to see, you know, human interface guidelines from Apple if you're bringing over an iPad app, um, you know, to, uh, you know, the Mac? 
And it almost makes somewhat more sense if, if they were bringing over um, iPhone applications, as you said, that could run as little widgets. I wouldn't expect them to run, you know, like Mac application, um, where I could be those things like, you know, your weather apps and all mm-hmm. of the other things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's where we'll start. Uh, we got to move yeah. on. I, I only have time for another one more question for you. So we're almost out of time. Let's let's do one more. Uh, the, the, my favorite question for you is um, iPad OS. What's your reaction to that? And you th- and and why did Apple go with iPad OS and not redo the home screen management? Um, it, it's probably one of those things. First of all, I think um, iPad needs an iPad. OS. It was getting to the point where you could do things on the iPad you simply couldn't do on an iPhone, even on a big screen iPhone. So it makes sense. You've got tvOS, you've got watchOS. Um, they're all derivative of the same core. So let's give um, iPad its own operating system. Um, and I think we're, think, we're, we're thinking like, you know, right now of the big steps forward. Now, the, you know, last fall's hardware. Like file access. Yeah, I mean, Last Bell's hardware was widely criticized uh, because, like, wow, this fantastic hardware, but my God, you know, you're so limited mm-hmm. uh, by the software. You, and, and, you know, I guess the universal criticism is I can't even plug in a flash drive. Well, now you can. Yeah. Uh, and so maybe it's like a case of first things first. Right. And, you know, when you're talking about development of these type of tools, it's, you know, sometimes you, it's hard to keep hardware and software in sync. Um, a good example was when Apple built the Notes app um, and it first came out and people were wondering, like, you know, wow, there's like a little drawing section of this. What good is it for? Um, the answer was going to be good for the pencil. But, you know, Apple wasn't ready to talk about the pencil yet. And it was, <laughs> when the pencil came out, it was like, OK, now we get it. And I think that, yeah, if Apple could have added those features into iOS in time, um, you know, for the iPad Pro launch, it would have. Um, but my guess is the file system was definitely doable. Um, it just didn't make the cut in time to do all the things like, you know, Q and a and everything else. Um, it would definitely be nice to see the springboard updated. It's still, um, you know, pretty much of a mess if you have a lot of applications. Yeah. yeah it's nice that I can see, you know, the, you know, today stuff and, and, and have that on screen a little bit, um, Still would like to see better things for multi-monitor support. I should be able to plug in a, um, you know, a USB monitor, USB-C monitor. And, you know, instead of just being able to mirror the screen, I should be able to do more things than that. And I suspect that's coming. But a lot of the stuff that's in there is stuff that really refines the iPad experience and, and delivers a lot on the Apple promise. I mean, certainly you can't say that, you know, the hardware and software are out of sync. Um, but, you know, the downside to that is you lose some of the simplicity and, and, and some of the elegance. You know, I every so often I find it hard, you know, to remember all the gestures on the current, um, you know, iOS. How do I get into right. split screen mode? I I'm really over. happy to see the new editing. I hated the magnifying glass, and this 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 new copy paste is going to be great. I like that. Well, I like it, but you know, I guess sort of what it was telling is it worked great um, on the video, but when whoever was demoing it on stage sort of ran into a couple of hiccups. So I think that's we're all going to have to you know get our fingers in practice. Yeah, uh, yeah. Going 
record. But overall, it was a good, you know, WWDC for um, Apple. This was not, uh, remember, an end-user event. This was an event for developers. And I think um, developers got a lot of stuff, um, you know, to go forward into the next iteration of hardware. Especially SwiftUI, but we're out of time and we don't have uh, time today to talk about that. Maybe another time when SwiftUI has been out there for a while, we'll come back and we'll visit that. But we have to call it a wrap. So thanks for coming on the show and sharing your thoughts with uh, me about WWDC. It's been great. Thanks for having me and look forward to uh, being back again in the near future. Tell the listeners how they can contact you if they wish with nice Uh comments. Um, best place to, uh, find me is on Twitter at Gartenberg. Um, you can also find some of the stuff that I've written for, um, six colors and, um, an archive of my old stuff at iMore. Um, but feel free to reach out at Gartenberg on Twitter and, um, you know, keep those cards and letters coming friends. Cool. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed the show with Apple's former senior director of product marketing, Michael Gartenberg. You've been listening to the Mac Observer's Background Mode. We'll see you again next week.